I grew up really close to the railroad tracks. There's four tracks to the New York Central and two to the Nickel Plate. And this is long ago enough that I remember the steam engines. I know my mother had to be careful when she was hanging out clothes. And sometimes I'd sleep in the backyard in the summer in a tent, and I'd sleep out there, which put me that much closer to the trains. There was also a bridge that went over the tracks uh, for, at that time, uh, really the main road, east and west. And so I, I would go under the bridge, cross the tracks, and go to Charlie's, the gas station that was over there, and get some candy or soda, whatever I could. Uh, and I used to play on the tracks all the time. We would uh, take an old baseball bat down there and use it to hit the stones that are on railroad tracks, at least that were at that time. Um, I used to walk up and down the the tracks uh, trying to shoot some woodchucks because the New York Central tracks were probably about 10 feet lower than the nickel plate tracks. And so in that embankment, a lot of woodchucks would live in there until I found them. Uh, I'd wave to the passengers as they go by, and I got in trouble a few times. Well, probably more than a few times. But sometimes a train would stop behind our house uh, because they'd have to wait for another train to, to change tracks. And so sometimes I'd talk to the engineer, conductor, whoever it was, and I had some friends up the road that would spend time with me on the tracks under the bridge. And when I was about nine, ten, uh, I different times stole some cigarettes from my parents and thought that was pretty cool. Uh, they had bums or hobos, whatever you wanted to call them then, that would sometimes stay under the bridge and just waiting to catch a ride. And I know on more than one occasion, I went under the, the bridge and some homeless man would be there and just scare the stuffing out of me and run back home as quick as I could. But overall, it was interesting uh, being so close to the trains and learning and appreciating what they did. So God put us where he wants us for a reason and for a season. We're not there by accident. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that you watch over us all the time. Uh, you watch over us when we're uh, intentionally doing something that could be a problem or when something happens that's not our fault at all. You're still there, and I praise you for that. So, Lord, I just uh, lift you up and lift your word up as we uh, look at the message you have for us. So, Father, open our hearts, open our minds, and open our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the early trains, uh, they're referred to as an iron horse because they were intended to take some horses' jobs. 
And people didn't really think that they would last very long. They thought this was just going to be a passing fancy. Well, there's a train in China called the Shanghai Meglev, and it goes 286 miles an hour. I cannot imagine a train going through my backyard at 286 miles an hour. I'd like to be there to watch it, but I just cannot imagine even a car going that fast. See, nothing about a train. It's unique in different ways. Uh, it's the only one in the world that carries passenger using uh, magnetic levitation, it's called. That's where they got the name maglev. Uh, rather than using conventional steel wheels and steel rails, this thing is not really on anything. Not sure it would be on that at 286 miles an hour. But I guess trains are here to stay, uh, especially in countries outside of the U.S., uh, where trains are a principal mode of transportation and uh, hauling goods from one place to another. So I want to share a song that's about trains. Okay, this is a traditional, what it was called then, Negro spiritual or Afro-American gospel song. Uh, it was finally put to paper in 1872, but the name of the song is The Gospel Train. Oh, the gospel train is coming. Don't you want to go? The gospel trains are coming. Don't you want to go? Oh, the gospel train's coming. Don't you want to go? Oh, yes, I want to go. I'm going to skip a few verses here, okay? Uh, she's coming heavy loaded. Don't you want to go? Coming heavy loaded. Don't you want to go? Coming heavy loaded. Don't you want to go? Oh, yes, I want to go. Oh, tell me who is the captain. Don't you want to go? Tell me who's the captain. Don't you want to go? Oh, tell me who's the captain. Don't you want to go? Oh, yes, I want to go. King Jesus is the captain. Don't you want to go? King Jesus is the captain. Don't you want to go? Oh, Jesus is the captain. Don't you want to go? Oh, yes, I want to go. He fought out many a battle. Don't you want to go? He fought out many a battle. Don't you want to go? He fought out many a battle. Don't you want to go? Oh, yes, I want to go. Well, obviously there's no trains in the Bible, but the song uh, talks about uh, how people, how the blacks in the South wanted to be someplace else, and they related that to a train they would use any mode of transportation that they could, but uh, they linked it to a train uh, to, to get them out of the uh, oppression that they were in. Well, there's no trains in the Bible, obviously. Uh, the first train was 1804. Uh, 1829 was the first trains in the United States. But the Bible has many other modes of transportation, and some of them are still used today. Uh, horses, donkeys, camels, chariots, feet, ships, walking on water. Uh, you know, we don't see that one, I guess. Um, but there's some famous ships or boats found in the gospel. 
Now, Peter and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John, they were fishermen. Well, it talks about Jesus sleeping in a boat and he used a boat to be a place to teach from. So let's look at what is probably the most famous boat or ship in the Bible. Okay, in Genesis 6 through 8, it tells us about Noah and his ark and the animals. And Noah was building something that nobody had ever heard of before or probably even thought of. Now, it took him a hundred years, give or take ten years, and God was very, very specific in how he wanted this built, what he wanted it built out of, and just, you know, what they needed to do. Uh, it was 300, or excuse me, 510 feet long, which is 170 yards, 85 feet wide, 28 yards, and 51 feet high. That's equivalent to a, a five-story building, okay? Like I said, these people had never seen anything. And Noah, he wasn't obviously a shipbuilder, but God gave him the skills that he needed to accomplish the task that was at hand. Now, to put in a, a commercial here, uh, the uh, Noah experience, I think they call it, or the Ark experience, which is in northern Kentucky, just across the border from um, Ohio, uh, is an ark that's been built. Ark, maybe it's Ark Adventure, whatever. And if you get the opportunity, go there. Or go out of your way to go there. Okay, because it's really amazing. And it was built to the specifications that God gave Noah. Well, Noah probably employed several men thought he was crazy you know but I'm sure they didn't care you know I'm getting paid I don't care what he wants me to build you know that's that's fine with me he told everybody that it was going to rain and flood the whole earth rain what's that on well, Genesis 2 verses 5 and 6 it says now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So God was had changed the earth in many ways and was going to be changing it some more. So when the ark was done, Mr. and Mrs. Noah and their sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives all hopped on the, the ark along with all the animals, and the rain came. Now, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and at the end of that time, it's not like the water was gone. Okay, so they were on the ark um, up to a year, depending again what you read. But this was something that had never been seen before. So, imagine, if you will, a world where it had never rained, and now it's raining day and night. At first, it's a nuisance. Then it starts to creep into homes and businesses. Then small children are 
getting swept away, and next to be lost in the rising waters, sheep and goats and cattle. It reaches a point where you can no longer just get away from it. Swimming to keep your head above water and getting harder and harder. And finally, your body gives up and you're taken under, never to come back up. This is what happened to those not allowed on the ark. Now, most would not have accepted the invitation anyways until, until the rains started to come and they kept on coming and coming. And so people would start thinking, that crazy Noah, he was right. I wonder if over the noise of the animals, Noah and his family couldn't hear the cries of those outside as the water rose. I'm sure they lost some friends, some family members, lost forever. And so their lives were going to change once this was over with. Well, let's fast forward several hundred years to eh, around 32 AD. I want to look at Matthew's account of a conversation first. Uh, different times Jesus had been asked when he would be returning. Now, Jesus was talking about Noah and how no one believed him until it was too late. And then he relates this in Matthew 24, beginning in first thir verse 39. It says, That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. And then Luke adds this to that story in 1734. It says, I tell you, meaning Jesus, that on that night two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. What the message, or what is the message that we need to get from these passages? You know, God wants us to not question, but to, um, you know, find out how that's going to relate to us. Well, probably told you before, but I'm a fan of the Left Behind fiction series. Uh, I just finished it for the second time a couple months ago. Well, some of it may be kind of a stretch, but some of it I believe is right on. Now, Tim LaHaye was a co-author of those books, and he knows his Bible. He knows Bible prophecy. And so, you know, he was what you could call an authority. Jerry Jenkins, he's written some nonfiction, but a lot of the stuff that he has written is fiction but still relating to a Christian life. So the series opens with the disappearance of millions of people. People that were on a plane, people that were at home, people that were at work, at school, wherever they may have been at that time, they were gone. Well, Jesus told us in Matthew and Luke, some will be taken and some are going to be left behind. 
Who will not be on that gospel train? Well, Revelation 3 gives us a good indication. John records Jesus' words to the church of Sardis. And this is from the New Living Translation. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. That's what Jesus told them. That's what Jesus is telling us. So who is Jesus referring to? Those not giving in to the sins of the world. There's other times in Revelation that we hear about the book of life. But let me give you the earliest that I found in speaking of the book of life. And this is in Psalm 69. And David is writing about his enemies. Okay, Psalm 69, verses 19 and 20 says, You know of my shame, scorn, and disgrace. You see all that my enemies are doing. Their insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. Okay, so then you skip down to verse 27, 28, and David is speaking about his revenge, because he says, Pile their sins up high, and don't let them go free. Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. Going back to the book of Revelation, Jesus tells us why we want to make sure our names are in the book of life. Revelation 20, beginning in verse 12. John says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, Matthew in chapter 18 is telling us to rid ourselves of things that may be causing us to get tripped up. He tells us that, you know, if we're treating children in a way that's going to pull them away from the Lord, you're going to pay for it. And he, he tells us that if your hand or foot is a problem, cut it off. And if your eye is looking at things it shouldn't, gouge it out. Then at the end of the passage, in verse 9, Jesus says, It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. The message tells it like this. You're better off one-eyed and alive than exercising your 20-20 vision from inside the fire of hell. Some people ignorantly say, you know, when I get to heaven, man, I'm going to be there with all my buddies, and, you know, my parents will be there, my brothers and sisters, and everybody I hang out with all the time, they're going to be there, and that may very well be true. (laughs) 
But when they add to this, you know, we're just going to have one big party. You know, we're going to stay drunk or high the whole time, and, you know, it's just going to be great. One thing i got to say, it ain't going to happen. No, no way. Satan will crash your party when you walk through his gates. Well, the big question here is this. Who does God want to be on that gospel train? Paul tells us who God wants to have a ticket. In 1 Timothy 2, beginning in the first verse, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants, listen to this, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Not just the Lutherans or the Baptists or the Methodists, not just the Jews, not just Americans or Europeans, not just the black, not just the white, but everyone. God desires that everyone would be saved. There's one thing that I or we need to remember. <clears throat> no one's going to be, or excuse me, no one knows when that train will be pulling out. Okay, Jesus addresses this when we go to Mark 13, beginning in verse 30. It says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. But even the, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. And Jesus, he's the one that's going to punch your ticket. That reminds me of, if you watch the movie Polar Express, where Tom Hanks caricature, caricature is the, or the conductor on there, and he, he takes the kids' tickets and he punches them about 20, 30 times. But Jesus will be the one punching your ticket when you stand before the Lord. Now, let's take a look at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, uh, beginning, or chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And this is from the message. Regarding the question that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried, we didn't want you to be in the dark any longer. First off, you must not carry on over them like people that have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave were the last word. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who have died in Jesus. And then this, we can tell you with complete confidence, we have the Master's word on it, that when the Master comes again to get us, those who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. The Master himself will give the command. Archangel Thunder, God's trumpet blast. He'll come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise. They'll go first. 
Then the rest of us who are still alive at that time will be caught up with them into the clouds to meet the Master. Oh, we'll be walking on air. And then there will be one huge family reunion with the Master. So reassure one another with these words. The dead in Christ will rise. That means the, the ones that died yesterday, the ones that died 2,000 years ago. And that family reunion, it's going to be with Christ and those believers who went on ahead of us. I've heard it said that there may be some people who are you're surprised to see in heaven, and there may be some that are surprised to see you. Well, <clears throat> we need to make sure that we live our lives so that no one will be surprised to see us. Refrain from the old hymn, When We All Get to Heaven. It says, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout for victory. The only problem with this, we won't all get to heaven. Like Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Dr. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, he's speaking of Christ being the cornerstone of our faith. Said salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. All aboard. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you give us the opportunity and the blessing of being able to come to you. And like Jesus said, He's the only way. You know, we can try. Uh, drugs, we can try sex, we can try working, we can try family, we can try hundreds of other things, but there's only one way. And no other religion will lead you to that way. So, Father, we give you thanks for those that know you and love you. And, Lord, we lift up those that may not know you yet. <coughs> and, Father, I pray that today will be the day that they do, that today they will Make that commitment to you. And Lord, let them know that your son, Jesus Christ, died for their sins. He didn't just die for the people that we may look at as good. He, he died for everyone. And so there's nothing you have done that's going to take that opportunity away. That all you have to do is ask, and Jesus will open the door for you. So, Father, let them pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. Please help me. Believe your truth and accept your love. Thank you for your Holy Spirit to love me and guide me and direct me. In Jesus' name, amen.